John 17, 1 through 8. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come to glorify Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now we'll read 18 through 26. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have been that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a genuine joy to be with you. Um, if you're just joining us, uh, right now we're working through some of our core priorities and values of, as a church. It's, it's, it's kind of what we do at the beginning of every new year. Uh, we started a couple weeks ago talking about worship. Uh, about how as a church and as Christians, we want to be marked by worship, just giving glory to God in all that we are and in all that we do. Last week, we talked about community, the importance of the church and what it looks like to have biblical, authentic relationships. And today, we're going to look at mission. For that, we're going to be in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app, uh, go ahead and open to John 17, beginning in verse 1. I'll be working through uh, John 17 in the ESV. Um, we got a lot of verses to get through, so uh, why, don't, why don't we pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for your word, for this church family, and that we just have the privilege of participating in, in your mission in the world. Lord, so many of us would not even be here if it wasn't for your mission to save undeserving sinners like us. As we work through Jesus's prayer in John 17, I pray God that you would either teach us for the very first time or refresh for us 
for those of us that have heard it before, uh, just a, a passion for your glory and for the glory of your name. We long to see more and more people come to know you, love you, and worship you as God. And so we surrender our time, this sermon, and our worship to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let me start with a sort of random fun fact that you um, probably didn't know. Actually, before, before I get to that, um, how many of you guys knew that Lee Lazat started a new coffee business? Raise your hand. So if you don't know who Lee is, Lee's the handsome man sitting in the, in the back, uh, back corner outside. Uh, he started uh, True Love Coffee and uh, decided that he's going to uh, start donating coffee uh, for us uh, at service uh, each, each Sunday, right? Each Sunday? Uh, if, you, if you didn't before, you kind of have to now. So um, yeah, wow, these people love coffee. Um, but thanks, man. I just, I just had my first cup. I've been wearing the merch for like weeks, but now I've had my first cup and it is truly lovely. So thank you. <laughs> um, so here's a fun fact that you probably didn't know is that uh, I, I actually, I talk to myself a lot, right? Like my wife is, she's nodding her head right here in the second row. I talk to myself a lot, like out loud. I talk to myself right? Like, how many of you guys do this? Where, like, I, I actually practice conversations, especially important conversations before I'm about to have them. I'll, I'll be, like, relaying back and forth. Don't laugh. Like, it's, it's a thing, right? Uh, so, so it, I, I, I practice conversations out loud. Sometimes I'll be, like, rehearsing sermon points as, Sundays, uh, as Sunday is, is, is getting nearer, right? Uh, and I didn't know that I did that. Right? I just thought it was in my head, but apparently like, I'm, I'm actually speaking out loud. And when, I, uh, I first, when we first got married, uh, Alyssa one day, she's like, are, are, you, are you practicing your message? And I'm like, you can hear me? <laughs> like, get out of my head, right? Like, how, how did she do that? I and mean, then, you know, it turns out that I'm actually speaking out loud. And, you know, one of the times that I talk to myself, uh, especially is when I'm trying not to forget something, right? I think that's like, if, if, if any of you do talk to yourself, uh, that's kind of like the co- like lowest common denominator, right? It's like when you are trying not to forget something. I have bad short-term memory, so, so, so I, I do that. And Alyssa found this out also early in our mar- marriage. She'll, like, hear me walk into the next room, and I'll be saying, like, double-A batteries, double-A batteries, double-A batteries, right? Uh, and if I get tripped up or distracted for, for even just a few seconds, I'll lose it. It's gone. I, I forget why I'm there. And then, and then I'll say out loud, again, I think it's still in my head, but I'll actually say out loud, why am I in the garage? And Alyssa from the other room will go, double A batteries. And I'm like, oh yeah, right? Like double A batteries. So what's my point in sharing that? Is that sometimes when I need to rehearse my mission over and over to help me to not, not veer from it, because we're easily distracted people. We need to rehearse our mission so that we don't veer from it. It's too easy to get off mission. And that's why at the beginning of every year, every January, we take a few weeks as a church to sort of unpack our mission statement, some of our core values as a church family, to rehearse it together and sort of recalibrate ourselves for a new year to make sure that we're staying on course. Our mission If you've been here long enough, you've probably heard it in some form or another, but our mission is to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus who live for the glory of God, the growth of one another, 
and the good of others in the everyday stuff of life. To make wholehearted disciples of Jesus who live for the glory of God, that's worship, the growth of one another, that's authentic community, and the good of others, that's mission in the everyday stuff of life. So this morning, we're going to dig into sort of that third little section, like looking at John 17, where Jesus prays. He prays about our mission. He prays about the church's mission in the world. So we're going to look at a few things. I'll give you the outline on the front end. Number one, reclaim a theology of place. Number two, recognize the eternal stakes. And number three, remember our primary mission. Let's look at that first one, all right? Reclaim a theology of place. Number one, now in a time when everyone is, seems to be leaving the state of California for one reason or another, I think it's important for us as Christians to sort of reclaim a theology of place. What I mean by that is basically we need to reclaim and sort of re-understand or maybe understand for the first time why it is that God has us in the places that he has us. This idea that God has providentially chosen the time and the place that he has us. He chose the time and century that you would be born in. He chose the place that you would be in in this season of your life. And that we are sent for his purposes in those places that we find ourselves in. And we first see this in John 17 when Jesus describes how God the Father designed the details of his own life for the sake of spreading the love of God. And this is coming right on the heels of Jesus sitting down for the Last Supper with his disciples. He takes them to a room to pray, and he starts teaching them and telling them the significance of his life and ministry. And he tells them that he's about to die, that he's about to be betrayed, that he's about to be killed, that he's about to leave them. And they're still kind of wrapping their minds around that. And then Jesus leads them in this prayer. Rather, he prays right in front of them. And that's what we're going to read about in John 17. So John 17, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, speaking of himself, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what we see in these verses is that God the Father, he gave authority to Jesus. He gave authority to Jesus, who's God the Son, to give eternal life. And he says... In his prayer, he says, God, you gave me these disciples, these disciples in this room with me. You gave them to me. You placed them in my path. They're, they're mine because you, you made them mine. And then he continues his prayer in verse 4, and he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So he's praying for his disciples here. And in verse 7, he says, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. Now, I want you to see the significance of what Jesus is praying here. I want you to see the significance of what he's praying. He's saying, Father, you, you sent me here 
in this time, in this place, to these people. You gave me these disciples, and you loved them so much that you gave me your words to teach them. And because of that, they've accepted the free offer of your love by grace alone, through faith alone, and now they have eternal life. Now, Jesus is praying for his disciples here. What does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us 2,000 years later? Glad you asked. Skip down to verse 18. Verse 18, Jesus is still praying, and he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, which is a way of saying I give, I give myself over to your plan, so that they may also be sanctified or set apart in truth. Verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only. I'm not only praying this for these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's saying, I'm not just praying for these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, I want you to let those words sink in. Jesus was praying to the Father. He says, Father, as you sent me, I send them. And not just these disciples, but all who will believe in me through their word. The gospel of John that we're reading from right now is some of those words that was given through them. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about every Christian, right? When he says, not just these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word, he's talking about every Christian from that point in time on. Everyone who has ever said, yes, we belong to Jesus, we love him and we worship him as God, if that describes you this afternoon, then don't let this truth escape you, that this prayer Jesus is praying is for you. He's praying for you. One of the things he prays, he says, as you you have sent me, Father, I send them. As God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus now sends us into the world. So in the same way that the Father sovereignly gives the Son people to share his love with, Jesus sovereignly gives us people to share his love with. It's for the same reason that he was sent, so that the world would know the love of God and have eternal life. And don't miss this. Jesus has providentially, sovereign Jesus, sovereign king, he has providentially put you in this unique time and place. 2020 did not catch God by surprise. And it is no mistake that you were alive during it. It is no mistake that you are in the neighborhood that you live in, the home that you live in, the school or job that you're at. Jesus has us in the places that he has us for a reason. There are people, people that God has placed around you. And some of those people are, are, are his. They just don't even know it yet. They don't know how much God loves them. And look, these people that God has placed around you, they might have the same worries and anxieties and fears and doubts that you do, but they don't know the God whose voice will calm those storms. 
And you, brother, you, sister, are in their lives for such a time as this. For such a time as this. See, we need to reclaim a theology of place. It's a real spiritual danger to be constantly looking for what's new and better. As if God didn't know what he was doing. We say things like, if only I had a more comfortable living situation. If only I didn't have these health issues. If only I had a different spouse or different kids then I feel like I could really fulfill my life's purpose. See, that's a dangerous way to be a Christian. It's a dangerous way to be a Christian, to be always looking for what's new and always looking for what's better. It's a dangerous way to be a Christian, and it's a threat to the whole church. Where you're so focused on yourself that you start to miss opportunity after opportunity to serve the people around you. The psalmist in Psalm 16, he talks about how God has given him his portion. In other words, God, what you have given me is is what you have assigned to give me. You make no accident in that. He says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely, I have a delightful inheritance. Imagine how different your battle with anxiety would be if you could say, Lord, the boundaries that you've placed in my life, they've fallen in pleasant places. You've given me my portion. You've given me my lot. I have a delightful inheritance. I delight in it. See, the sovereign God of the universe, he's designed your life so uniquely. He's designed it uniquely so that in the time and place that he has you, you can live for his glory and for the good of others and declare his gospel to those who need it. And so, look, as as your friend, as your pastor, more importantly, as your brother in Christ, let me just, let me plead with you. Spend your life, spend your life making the love of God known to those God that, those that God has providentially placed in your path. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. So number one, we need to uh, uh, reclaim a theology of place. Number two, recognize the eternal stakes. Recognize the eternal stakes at hand. Look again at verse three in John 17. Jesus said, This is eternal life. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, the great benefit of salvation is knowing God. It's knowing God, God who loves us with an unstoppable love. A love that not even our sin, which is high treason against his nature, could ever stop. What does the most famous verse in the Bible say? 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Less popular verse is the verse at the end of that chapter. The verse is at the end of the chapter, verse 35 and 36, which says, The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, this eternal life that Jesus promises, but instead the wrath of God, it remains on him. Are you hearing that? Are you hearing, like, there are people providentially placed by God all around us, people who who don't know the love of God, and as a result, they're under God's wrath. And if nothing changes for them from now until the time of their death, they're going to perish under his wrath. They're going to perish under that wrath. Look, I know that this is not like the most admired of Christian doctrines, right? But this is the word of God. This is the word of God giving us the hard truth, pleading with us to recognize the eternal stakes at hand for people around us who don't yet know the love of God. I mean, we're talking faces that you recognize, names that you know, people who like part of your heart belongs to them because you you love them, you care about them. What did Jesus do with his heart for the lost? Look, I don't want you to miss the heart for intentional discipleship that Jesus has in John 17. More More than anyone in history, Jesus had a heart for the lost, right? More than anyone in history, Jesus had a heart for the lost. And what, what, did, what did that look like for him, having a heart for the lost? Well, he spent the majority of his life in one geographic region, in one place. And here he is in John 17, at the end of his life, right before he's going to get betrayed and right before he's going to suffer on the cross. And in his prayer, if you read all of John 17, which we're not going to have to look time to look at every single little verse, but if you read the prayer, you'll see that he's reminiscing on his ministry on earth. And you'll notice he doesn't mention all the places he traveled or the crowds who came out to see him or the many miracles that he performed. But 40 times, 40 times, he mentions a small group of men, the 12 disciples the soon-to-be apostles, these 12 men whom he spent most of his ministry with. Jesus devoted his life to investing in these men, knowing that through them, the gospel will go out into the world. Look, the reason that churches even started in the first century, the reason that churches started back then, the reason that church planting is even a thing is because of what Jesus did through those men. The reason that we're here today is because of what Jesus did through those men that he prayed for and invested into. Look, the strategy of Christ, it's not foolish. 
It's brilliant. It, it, it's so, it's so un-American. It's so not a big production. Just a few disciples. He died on the cross, rose from the grave, and said to them, all right, now you, now you go and do likewise. Go make disciples. Baptize them into my family. Their eternity is at stake. Look, as Christians who know how the book ends, as Christians who know how human history is going to end, we need to keep the end in mind. We have our eyes on the long view. Martin Luther cleverly put it this way. He said, I have two days on my calendar, this day and that day. Knowing how it ends shouldn't be cause for us to retreat from culture and make a bunker out of our homes and our churches like they do in some traditions, right? right? So knowing how it ends shouldn't be cause for us to retreat from the culture, but it should actually propel us to get out there with prayerful intention as we seek to do good in the world and share the gospel with others as, our reason, as the reason for our hope. Number three, we remember our primary mission. Remember our primary mission. Jesus says in verse 22, he's still praying, and he says, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. You see, unity in the church is so important to Jesus. In verse 23, he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. He's praying about the whole church. He's praying about us there. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now look. Right there in verse 24, Jesus is praying for those the Father has given him. Who's he talking about? Again, he's talking about us. He's talking about the church throughout the ages. All, all who would come to know Jesus, who would come to know him and follow him and worship him as God. He's confidently praying for the church in his day to multiply. That more and more people will get to experience the glory and the hope that is found only in him. And in this prayer, we see, in these, the, the end of his prayer, we see that there are at least two ways that the church multiplies. First, it's by displaying his glory. The church multiplies when it displays God's glory. Jesus wants to shine his glory. He wants to shine his glory through the church to a darkened world. This happens when the glory of the Father and the Son is a part of our lives, is a part of our everyday living life. Verse 22, he says, The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. 
And that glory comes from this. Verse 23, he says, I in them and you, Father, in me. In other words, we display the glory of God by living out Jesus in us. We display the glory of God with our lives when we actually live out Jesus at work in us, when we actually are living grace-transformed lives. Now, does this mean that our lives have to be perfect for us to share our faith with somebody? Like, no, that's not what it means. I mean, some of us, we, we can't think that we can't, we can't share the gospel because we don't have all the answers or because we know that we're not perfect ourselves. But isn't that the point of the gospel? <laughs> isn't the point of the gospel, that the point of the gospel that God uses the foolish to confound the wise and he uses the weak and the humble to shame the proud? He uses humble, repentant sinners to shame the proud. Like God doesn't use people who have their act together. Read the New Testament. Who did God use? None of these guys had their act together. He uses messes like Paul who wrote Romans 7 when he said, wretched man that I am. He's like, I can't, I can't stop sinning. Wretched man that I am. He says that one moment, and then the next moment he says, thanks be to God through Christ our Lord. Oh man, don't, don't, don't sell God short on what he could do through a mess like me. And what he could do through a mess like you. Don't be surprised what God can accomplish through you. The church also multiplies not only when we display God's glory, but also when we declare God's glory with our words. Here's our mission. Our mission is to tell others about Jesus' mission, that he was sent for undeserving sinners like me and you. We see this in verse 21. Verse 21 says, he says, uh, that the world may believe that you have sent me. In other words, our mission is to get others, the world, to believe that Jesus was sent. He was sent for us. He came to us. What was Jesus' mission that he was sent on? His mission was to reconcile sinners to God and reconcile them with one another in God's family. And now our mission if, you've, if you're in that, if that's happened to you, if you're part of God's family, now our mission is to tell other people about that great news. Look, this is why we can boldly come to our, to our, to our un, unbelieving friends. Because we know that Jesus is the answer to life's most honest questions, to the deepest longings of the human heart. Jesus is the answer to every honest question and to every deep longing. He's the answer to the ancient promise in Genesis 3, when sin entered the world and messed everything up, that one would come to crush the head of the serpent, putting an end to evil, Satan, sin, and death. He's the better ark that provides salvation to all that would run to him. 
He's the answer to God's covenant promise to Abraham that all nations will be blessed by his descendants. He's a prophet redeemer that's greater than Moses is what Hebrews 3 tells us. He came not just to give the word, but to be the word as flesh, fulfilling the law of God and providing a redemption greater than the one in Egypt. He's the answer to the temple and the tabernacle that all who are in him can dwell in the presence of God forever. He's the answer to the promise made to David that someone in his line would reign as sovereign Lord and King forever. He's the answer to our our heart's deepest questions, the, the way, the truth, and the life. He's the bread that satisfies our soul's hunger, the living water that satisfies the soul's thirst. He's the bright morning star who will one day come again to push back the darkness once and for all, to wipe away all our tears, to give us new bodies and a new creation that's going to be more beautiful than Eden. He's the only true answer and the only true fulfillment where all other saviors that we reach for fail us. He's the answer to life's greatest longings, the forgiveness of sin, right standing with God, Rest for the weary and the heavy laden, the one who gives eternal life, the one who makes us dwell in the presence of God, the great I am. The apostle Paul said, all the promises of God find their yes in him. All that God promised, Christ fulfilled. Because Jesus is risen from the grave, we have the ultimate proof that he is the answer, the only answer that we all need. This is the Jesus who came to save us. This is the the Jesus that we have the privilege of sharing with others. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you trust him? Have you committed your life after being baptized into the waters to follow him all the days of your life? Well, he gave his church, his people, one mission. He tells us, go, make disciples. Teach them all these things. Baptize them, which is a way of saying welcome them into the church. And at the end of the Great Commission, he promises to be with us on that mission. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. See, that mission, that mission that Jesus gives us, that's what he's praying for here in John 17. That through the church's unity, through its witness, and through its words, more and more disciples would be made. It's this realization that Christianity is about more than just worshiping God on one day, and it's more about more than being just formed into God's family. It's also about how we are also made for God's mission. You can't separate them. We worship God. We get together with others who worship God in community, and we're sent into the world on mission so that other people can worship God, be welcomed into community, and sent into the world on mission. 
And so together, together, we get to reach those that God has providentially placed all around us so that they would believe in Jesus, believe in his mission, that he wasn't just a great example or teacher, like many historians say, but that he was sent to be a great savior and redeemer. But King's Cross, I, I, I want us to be the kind of church that has a heart for the world around us. We don't don't look at culture as us versus them, but as us for them. Jesus says, "As, as you have sent me into the world, Father, now I send them. I have a heart for the world around us, for the people that just aren't here yet. We got seats to fill. We got lives to reach. Chances are, chances are that before, before you ever came to church for the first time, someone, someone had a heart for you. They were praying for you. They were joining Jesus on his mission for you. Just a, just a simple question I want us to ask. Starting small, let's just ask, what is, who's the one person that you're going to be praying for? Who's the one person that you're going to be praying for? The one that you're going to be praying that God opens their hearts, that their heart might become just fertile soil for the seed of the gospel. The one who you're going to pray for, that God would provide you opportunities to share the gospel with them. Where you're looking for, you know, what what Paul Tripp calls these these gospel doors, right? Hurt, longing, questions about meaning, purpose. Questions like why? And you have to tell them, look, I know why. And share with them the hope of the gospel. You want to know what it looks like to be on mission? In all this, Jesus serves as our primary example of a life on mission. Remember what verse 18 said? In verse 18, he said, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You see, simply a life on mission is a life that is sent. You recognize that as a follower of Jesus, you're probably, like that you're you're not called to just to just chill, but that you are sent. I don't know if you guys have heard of the preacher named uh, Charles Spurgeon, right? Prince of 
Prince of Preachers, Metropolitan Tab Tabernacle, like uh, late 1700s, uh, early 1800s. Um, actually, it was late 1800s, early 1900s that he pastored. But um, he, he pastored kind of on the heels of the Industrial Revolution. Um, and some of you may have heard me tell, tell this before, but I feel like it's especially pertinent, like considering what's happening in, in our geographic location right now. But, um, you know, the Industrial Revolution, uh, the, 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 the effects of that just pervaded all throughout uh, London. And the city was like in meltdown mode because of it, right? Like, so many people flocked to the city with Industrial Revolution, and then, and then, and then uh, uh, when machines started, you know, taking over people's jobs, and all of a sudden you had all these people who, like, couldn't, couldn't afford their bills getting kicked out on the street, and so the homeless population went up. Uh, the number of, of men who were dying young or, or committing suicide like went up. And so you had the number of widows and orphans uh, uh, increasing as well. And with that comes an increase in crime. And London, the, the, the streets of London were just a dark, dark place, meltdown. Needs everywhere, and none of them were being met. And you know what the Christians in London did? They said, we're out of here. We're out of here. We're like, we don't, we don't want to be around this. We're out of here. They took off. But not Spurgeon's church. Not Spurgeon's church. See, he, he, he told his church, Metropolitan Tabernacle, he says, look, we're, we're not going anywhere. We're going to stay because we see an opportunity for the gospel here. You see, a true church doesn't have a hunker up and, and, and bunker down posture. A true church has a missionary posture, a sent posture. And the same is true for every Christian. Has a missionary posture. That doesn't mean that every Christian has the gift of evangelism, but every Christian is called to participate in the making of disciples. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. You're either the one or the other. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He said, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God makes his appeal to sinners. Like us, through us. That they might come to know the hope that we have. But God did not place our church here in South Orange County just to minister to Christians, but to those who are not yet Christians. We're not here just to know Jesus, but to make him known. How do we know that we're going to succeed in, his, in this mission? How do we know that we're going to succeed in Jesus' mission that he gives us? It's because he makes a promise here in this prayer. He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Elsewhere, Jesus says, I will build my church. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. We know that Jesus is good on his promises. We know he's good on his promises. How do we know that? Because here we are. Here we are. 2,000 years after he prayed that prayer, we're here in this commercial building in Rancho Santa Margarita, California, singing songs about Jesus, uniting in him, 
loving one another in him, proclaiming him, making disciples and planting churches for the fame of his name. Look, Jesus, the son of God, he never prayed in a way that was contrary to God's will. And so we know that when he prayed this prayer, that this was the will of God to answer this prayer in the affirmative. So we pray for the mission, just like Jesus did. If you want to boil it down, the church exists for one reason. It's to make wholehearted disciples who live for the glory of God, the growth of one another, and the good of others. That's all that we care about. That's the reason behind everything that we do. That's all, that's what we pray for. Is, is, that, is, is, is that what you pray for? Is that what you pray for? Are you just praying that God would fix your problems, give you some stuff? Look, there's nothing wrong with crying out to God when our anxieties and our fears, our doubts, and our struggles. But man, do you, do you pray for things that Jesus prayed for in this prayer? I mean, I want to say as we're starting off this new year, let, let, let's be a church like that. A church that prays like Jesus prayed for disciples to multiply. We have the privilege, the privilege of participating in the sovereign work of God. So let's join together in his great mission by his great power. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.